Amen. Well, you can grab a seat, uh, and as you do, you can check this out. When we asked Reebok to send us Terry Tate, some people thought we were crazy. But I'm a firm believer in paradigm breaking, outside the box thinking. Hey, buddy. Break was over 15 minutes ago, Mitch! And since Terry's been with us, our productivity has gone up 46%. We're getting more from our employees than ever before. You know you need a cover sheet or your TPS reports, Richard! That ain't new, baby! Hey, Terry. Hey, Janice! But what's really impressed me is how Terry's become part of the Felcher family. He fits right in here. That's a long distance call, Doug! To be honest, I wish Reebok sent us ten Terry Tates. You wanna play games, Gene? Well, when it's game time, it's pain time, baby! Woo! Mmm, man. We've all been there, right? Yeah, that's a, that's a close-to-home example of just the fact that, man, our work can be a discouraging place, right? We can find ourselves getting blindsided by certain uh, maybe obligations, certain responsibilities. We find ourselves getting frustrated with the people that we work with. We find ourselves uh, in our workplaces, wherever that's, whether that's a classroom or, or an office building or an organization. We find ourselves in those moments where we're discouraged, by our work. We've, we've been spending a lot of time this semester over the past few weeks talking about the, the design and the philosophy and, and the ideals of our work, of how it's meant to be. But the truth is, is that our workplaces are often less than ideal, that we often work, we walk into those rooms, those classrooms, those meeting rooms, those boardrooms, whatever it is, and we find ourselves in situations that are disappointing and frustrating because we find ourselves in work that many times can feel pointless or fruitless. We find ourselves in moments being discouraged in work. So what do we do with that? Or as believers, what do we do with that? Is there a way to avoid it? Is there something we're supposed to do to uh, you know, push through it? Like, what, what do we even do? We've been talking over the last few weeks. We'll continue to talk for the next two weeks. Next week's our last week uh, to talk about this topic, this, this idea of faith at work. And we've been focusing on it and talking about it because we want to look at these things that are often considered disconnected, that are often perceived as disconnected, faith and the workplace. And yet what we're finding in Scripture is that they're actually deeply intertwined. What we're finding is that the Lord wants His people, commands His people to actually work by faith. It's something that we see even in our modern culture that that you can't set a goal without faith, but you'll never actually reach that goal without work. And so God calls his people to work in such a way that they're living and walking by faith because it's only when we work by faith that we're able to work for both the glory of God and the good of others. Last week, we talked about that good of others component. We talked about the value that God has given all of our work in its ability to contribute to the common good and its ability to benefit those around us. We saw in First and Second Thessalonians that our work is an actual opportunity to love the people around us, to love our culture, to love our society. And because our work is always an opportunity to love, we should always be looking for opportunities to work. The nature of our work can change in any given season, but the need for our work remains always from 8 to 80. It's always there. Because God wants us not to just work for his glory, but for the good 
of others. This evening, what we're looking at is the practical ways that we fail at that task. The practical ways that we find work becoming discouraging. And we're hopefully going to see a way that we as believers can avoid that discouragement as long as we keep our eyes focused on a higher purpose, on a better purpose than the world around us. So we're in Genesis chapter 3 for a lot of the evening. If you want to turn there in a Bible or an app or something. Uh, We were there a few weeks ago, if you'll remember, in Genesis chapter 3, where we see the fall of man. Essentially, in the creation account, we see that the Lord created the earth and all that inhabited it. He formed it and he filled it. And, And then at one point, he created on the sixth day man and woman. And he created them. He put them in this garden of Eden. And he gave them a command. He says, I want you to be fruitful. I want you to multiply. I want you to fill the earth. I want you to rule over everything in this earth. I want you to create new things. And I want you to cultivate what's there. I want you to take things that are good and make them better. It's the mandate that we still carry with us. As beings made in the image of God, we carry forth that, that command, that, that purpose of creating and cultivating. Right? And so what we see is the Lord give this command to Adam and Eve. He gives them all this provision. He gives them this amazing purpose, and he gives them one prohibition. He says, I don't want you to eat from this one tree. Don't eat any of this fruit from this tree, because I want you to trust me. I want you to rely on my purpose. I want you to see that my way is better. But Adam and Eve, in the midst of that beautiful setting, sinned, right? They stepped outside of the will of God, and they ate of that tree. They decide, you know what? I don't want to follow, Lord, your path or your call. Instead, I want to go after my own purposes. I want to go trust my own judgment. And so they ate of the fruit and they fell and sin entered the world. And they've experienced a, a separation, a death, uh, but in scripture meaning literally a separation, a tearing apart between their relationship with God and also in their relationship with one another. Uh, immediately, Adam and Eve began to uh, look and distrust each other and shift blame on one another. Uh, their relationship was, dist- or was scratched up and broken. Their relationship with God was broken. And their relationship with the world was broken. That's what we see in Genesis chapter 3, read a few weeks ago. We're reading in tonight, 3 verse 17. God is speaking to Adam. And he's telling him, look, because of this sin, because of, these, uh, because of your error, because of your failure, because you obeyed your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground, thanks to you. In painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. When we saw this a few weeks ago, we recognized that, you know what, this is the moment where work became difficult. Right? This is the moment where, where Adam and Eve were going to have to work. And, and it wasn't just that work was created, right? Work was already there. God worked to create the earth. God made work. God loves work. We had work in the perfection of the garden, but now work is going to be hard. Work is going to be difficult. It's still good, right? We talked about that a few weeks ago. It's still good, but now it's difficult. It's fallen under the curse of sin. Tim Keller sums it up really well in his book, Every Good Endeavor, that we're basing this series upon. I encourage any of you to read it if you're interested in this. Uh, He says, work is is not itself a curse, but it now lies with all other aspects of human life under the curse of sin. So essentially, Keller says, look, work is not a curse. Work itself, some cultures, some religions, some societies, they saw work as a curse, right? The ancient Greeks, the Romans, they saw work as this horrible thing that everyone should avoid if they possibly can. But that's not what we see in Christianity. That's not what we see in Scripture. We see that work is good, but it's been broken. We see that it's good, but it's fallen under the curse of sin. So it's difficult. And it's difficult for two 
huge reasons, two primary reasons that God actually lays out in Genesis 3. All those years ago, the Lord lays out these two principles of how work is so difficult that still hold true today, that still result in us feeling so discouraged and distraught and devastated by work, even now. He says in verse 18, the, the ground, right, the earth, it will produce thorns and thistles for you, but you will eat the grain of the field. So essentially he's saying, look, you're going to work at this ground. You're going to try to grow grain, right? Something that's good, something that's nourishing. And yet, even though you're going to put forth your best effort, even though you're going to do all the proper work and all the proper planning, at times it will produce thorns. Where you wanted something good and nourishing, you're going to find something useless, something, something painful. You're going to find thorns and thistles where you wanted grain. In other words, because of sin, after the entrance of sin into our world, our work can now be fruitless. Despite our best efforts, our work can fail to yield our desired results. Right? We've, we've seen this. We've lived this out. For myself, I immediately thought in the science lab. Right? And this is where we see so many times this perfect planning, these, these perfect, uh, uh, this, this work, this hard work, this diligence uh, at trying to protect that egg. When you drop to 10 feet, you're like, no egg. I got you, man. You're not going to break. I got, so, I got so many tissues under you. You're going to be great. And now Egg lives in our memories only, right? He's gone. He's gone because our work fails to produce the desired results. It happens in classrooms all across the country. ourselves trying to protect an egg. We found ourselves trying to, uh, you know, hold together a, a bridge of spaghetti noodles, whatever it was. Right? We've been in those moments where we tried our best. We put forth our effort. We put in all the planning. We put in the preparation. We put in the work, and yet we fail to yield the desired results. Our work is fruitless. And this is something that's incredibly discouraging. It can be dec- incredibly discouraging and disappointing because these days, right, this culture where we live right now, 2016, <laughs> College Station, Texas, 18 to 25-year-olds, 18 to 32-year-olds, whatever it is, this, this, this range right now, I'm just telling you, this is just statistics. This group right now, our culture that we live in right now, has a tendency to drift very far into the idealistic and, and at times maybe even naively broken views of where our work will lead. We have very utopian views. We have very idealistic ideas about where we're headed, about where our work will lead. In other words, our desired results are higher than ever. And so when we fail to reach them, it can be devastating because our goals, our desired results are so high. And this is something we've done as a society for, for a long time, right? This isn't a new thing. We've always sort of set our sights higher many times than somewhere we'll actually get to. And I'm laughing because of this is in ridiculous. the kitchen. This is the kitchen of tomorrow, a press button dream coming true for Mrs. Housewife. All sorts of wonders are hers at the push of a button, from refrigerator doors to countertops built for big gals or little gals. Don't have to lean over here, you see. What's for dinner? Consult the menus on pictures and dish up something new for a change. 
hummingbird wings on toast, maybe. And look where the toaster is. A wave of the hand and presto, down comes a hidden cabinet with the dishes. Mama will feel like a fairy princess with a magic wand in a place like this. We won't be able to get her out of the kitchen, but we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Right now, the question before the house is, what's cooking and when do we eat? Man, <laughs> what? What a wonder. Man, we've always been dreamers. We've always been idealists thinking, oh, surely this was in the 50s. Surely by 1990, we'll have this incredible kitchen. We'll have this amazing thing. And we have these, you know, there's obviously broken views from the, you know, hand-waving soap or I don't know what happened. We do have hand-waving soap dispensers, actually. That's pretty amazing. We live in the future. But the hand-waving... Uh, cabinets falling to the mom who won't want to get out of the kitchen. Like, oh man, like there's some, there's some issues with that view of the future, right? Like there's some problems with how they viewed where their work would take them. We do this as a society. We did it and we continue to do it. We continue to look ahead and we have these broken views of where our work will lead. Now more than ever, we have these visions that outpace our accomplishments, right? And and it's not bad to have a goal. It's not wrong to have a vision. But our problem is that we set them so far, and when we don't reach them, we feel like failures. We we just feel devastated. Uh, About five or six years ago, it's hard to imagine, but College Station had no yogurt shops. I know. Like, it's, it's nuts. We didn't, though. No frozen yogurt places anywhere in College Station. But then at one point, a year later, four years ago, five years ago, we then had all the yogurt places. So many yogurt places. You could get Froyo literally anywhere. You could be walking down the street and someone would just like throw it in your mouth. Like, go! Enjoy. You know, I don't know. Like, it was amazing. It was crazy. And my wife and I, we, we experienced this firsthand because we were like, you know what? If there's a new shop, we'll go. Like, we'll go. We'll, we'll try it out. We, you know, we want to support the small business owners. We want to, like, you know, help people out. And by golly, we got sick of frozen yogurt because we went to so many dang places. And the truth is that there were a lot of places that we went to that we kind of would go and get some cups. We'd start eating the yogurt. And we're like, all right, like, I guess this was fun this one time and we'll never come back because they're not going to make it. Like, we just knew immediately, like, this is not going to work. And sure enough, they didn't, right? We, at one point, no joke, had nine frozen yogurt shops in College Station. Nine. And no longer, right? Those days are gone. Like, there's a few. We still have a few. There's a market. But for the most part, they left, right? It was unsustainable. We could not support that. That vision was not accurate. We could not reach that point as a society where we really needed that much frozen yogurt. And today, you look around, you're like, okay, the froyo, no mo, no mo. We have to draw the line somewhere. And we drew it at about like two. I think we have like two. So we have this line, we have this vision, though, and we thought we would get there, and yet we couldn't. We do it as a society, we do it as business owners. One of my buddies who's worked in the uh, food and beverage industry, he heard over and over and over again in his schooling and his graduate program that 95% of restaurants closed down in the first three years. 95%. Why? Because their vision outpaced their accomplishments. We do it as believers. We do it in the Christian-y world even. I had a buddy in uh, college here at A&M, and he was a young life leader. He was a good young life leader. 
and we were talking one evening about uh, youth ministry because I was in, I was working in junior high ministry here at Grace, uh, and so we were talking about it, and he had some kids that I had had in youth, and so we kind of were bonding and kind of talking about that, and he was about to graduate, and he was talking to me about how he wanted to maybe uh, go into ministry. He was like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm thinking I'm thinking maybe I'm going to be in, in ministry post-grad, and I was like, okay, cool. I was like, well, what do you want to do? Like, keep working in youth? You want to go on Young Life staff? Like, what are you thinking about? He's like, well, like, here's the thing, man. Like, I was just praying the other day and talking to God, and he told me, you know, kind of put it on my heart that I'm going to be leading Breakaway. I was like, oh, cool, I guess. Like, have you talked to Ben about that? Or like, what? <laughs> Where are we at <laughs> in that process? Uh, and he's like, no, I don't know. Like, just God just put it on my heart. I was like, yeah. I was at Breakaway, and I saw Ben preaching. I was like, yeah. That's going to be me. I was like, okay, well, yeah, you should probably send him an email or something, right? Like, give him a heads up. Because uh, that's, you know, it's an important discussion to have with the current leader of Breakaway uh, that you're going to be taking over. And he didn't, actually. So if you go to Breakaway now, it's, he's not there. Uh, he's doing something very different. Uh, because that was a wrong vision, right? And again, it's not wrong to have visions. It's not wrong to make goals. But when we fail to reach them, as we often do, or when we face setbacks, as we often do. The problem is when we feel devastated by that failure, when we feel so incredibly discouraged by those setbacks, when we get so frustrated that we just assume that we are worthless as people, that we're failures. When we fail to change the world, we feel like failures. We don't have to, but we do. We do it in, in school. Right? We, we, we fail to get to that GPA. We put in all that work and all that effort, and we really think this is going to pay off. I'm going to get to that point, and yet we don't. We don't make that GPA. We lose that scholarship, or we don't get into that organization, whatever it is, and we feel like failures. We, we, we get into an organization. Maybe we actually get in, and, we, and we're like, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to be on exec. I'm going to do these different things. I'm going to make all this stuff happen. We're going to, by God, we're going to win Songfest this year. We're going to win it. I just know it. And then you don't. You're not even top 16. <laughs> What do you do? You feel frustrated, right? You feel like failures at times. Maybe you're working in, in that internship. Or you're trying to get that internship. You're trying to line up that job. And when you fail to get it so many times, we just feel useless. We feel like failures through and through. And we assume that all of our endeavors are worthless because that work didn't pay off. We get there as believers. God told us we were going to get there. It says it's not just the fruitlessness, though, of work. That's not the only discouraging thing. So not only can you put in all this work and all this effort and fail to get the desired result, but beyond that, he says in verse 19, by the sweat of your brow you'll eat food until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you will return. In other words, he says, you're going to put in all this work and put in all this effort, and you know what's going to happen? You know where you're headed? just going back into the ground. This is ultimately all these accomplishments, all this work, all these things, all these results that you get, all this fruit you're going to gather for yourself, you're not going to take it with you. You're taken out of the ground, you're going to go back into the ground. You're dust. And you're going back into that state. Your body will decay. You will die. This is what the author of Ecclesiastes 
lands at time and time again. If you read the book of Ecclesiastes in Scripture, it's a wonderful book. Uh, it's very discouraging at times, but it can be very uh, uh, depressing even as you're reading. And the author is realizing over and over again that the things of this world are fleeting. That even if we achieve what we want to achieve, we can still feel empty. He, he describes things like pleasure and work and relationships and, and money and wealth and power. He describes all of it as to someone who's trying to grab the wind. That's his repeated illustration. It's beautiful. Someone who's trying to grab the wind. An occupation that's obviously so pointless. It says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 that I loathed all the fruit of my effort for which I worked so hard on earth because I must leave it behind in the hands of my successor. Who knows if he will be a wise man or a fool, yet he will be master over all the fruit of my labor for which I worked so wisely on earth. This also is futile. He says, I'm going to put forth all this effort. I'm going to bring out all this, all this uh, result, all these wonderful things. And you know what? I'm not going to last. I'm going to die. And when that happens, just some other chump is going to get all my stuff. And he could be wise, I guess, maybe, but he also could be a fool. He could use my things well. He could squander them. He says, but you know, honestly, either way, it doesn't affect me because I'm gone. He says, it's futile. He says, I began to despair about all the fruit of my labor for which I worked so hard on earth. For a man may do his work with wisdom and knowledge and skill. However, he must hand over the fruit of his labor as an inheritance to someone else who did not work for it. This also is futile and an awful injustice. Even when work delivers the product that we wanted, we find that satisfaction is fleeting for two main reasons. First, when we get that thing, whatever that thing is, that organization, that position, that job, that internship, that salary, the GPA, whatever it is, we put in all that work, we put in all that effort, we, 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 we plan, we prepare, do all of it, cross the T's, dot the I's, and we get it. So many times we discover that it's not what we really needed. It might have been what we wanted. It might have been what we were setting our sights on, but we realize in a moment as we obtain it that it's just not best, that it wasn't really in our best interest. That's really not what our souls needed for satisfaction or for fulfillment, for joy. My daughter is named Charlotte. She's wonderful. She's 14 months old. And one of her things, I would probably her thing, right, that she's chasing, it's not, you know, president of Philam yet, or, uh, you know, a GPA of 5.7 yet again. But she is instead, at this point in her life, she is chasing and desiring to play inside of my kitchen cabinets, okay? That is her, that is what drives her. It gets her out of bed in the morning. It puts her, (laughs) puts her to work during the day. This girl loves spending time in those kitchen cabinets. We have no idea why. I guess it's kind of a fun little cubby cubby hole. Uh, I think maybe just deep down, she just really has a, has a heart for uh, pots and pans, I guess. Cookie sheets. She's like, yeah, I'm with you. Like, I don't know. Like, she's just something about it. She loves it. And she loves to get in there. Her people call to her. And so she, any chance she gets, goes in the kitchen, wants to open those cabinets, wants to get inside. And, and I let her do that, right? My wife and I, we let her do that at times. Uh, but Every single time we do, we always, we're always a little anxious. Like, we'll watch and we're like, okay, I guess this is going well. I hope, you know, this, maybe this is going to be really fun this time. 
But man, I tell you, more times than not, she gets into that. We have our hopes set so high. We're so glad that she's having so much fun. And we yet, time and time again, we encounter this. (laughs) You getting pinched? Did I film you just as you got pinched? That is so sad. (laughs) Oh, remember it forever. (laughs) We find ourselves looking at this face, man. This wonderful face uh, that I can laugh at because I'm a horrible father. Uh, This face of pain and frustration. Oh, man, her finger got pinched. She's hurting. Uh, (laughs) And I love it. I can't help it, but I just love it. Uh, We're just going to leave that up for the rest of the night. Um, We're going to put the song lyrics on top of it. It's going to be great. Uh, Because she's so sad. She's so sad. But she's doing what she loves. That's what's so tragic. She found the thing. She's in the cabinet. She's experiencing what she always wanted to experience. And yet it hurt her finger. And so she's realizing in that moment that we live in a fallen world. That's really what brings her so much pain. She's like, the depravity around me is too much. She's so upset, and we get so upset when we find ourselves in that job that we always wanted. I have friends, good friends, who get to that position, who get that promotion, who put in the hard work. They get to that level in their organization that they always want to get to. They're almost partner or they got to be VP or whatever it is. They reach that point in that job. And they're like, and this is it. I got the salary. I got these benefits. I got all the stuff that I always wanted. And yet they discover that the requirements that it calls for, the responsibilities that they're given, the time that it asks of them is too much. They can't handle it. And they find themselves reaching the thing and finding that it does not satisfy them in the least. We so often can find that thing that we think is best and yet it's not because it's just something different than what we expected. Maybe it's our passion. Maybe we change. Maybe we think, yeah, I'm going to major in this. I'm going to go do that thing. I'm going to go in that direction. I'm going to work for that organization. I'm going to join that organization. I'm going to be in this major. And yet we find ourselves a few years down the road or junior year of college. We're like, oh my gosh, I hate all my classes. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Because we as individuals change our passions, our desires, they shift. And so we find ourselves pursuing that thing, putting in the work to get to that point, And yet we don't want to be there anymore. Our work can feel pointless for a variety of different reasons. But one of the big ones is that when we get that thing, we find that satisfaction is fleeting because the thing that we were chasing just isn't best. The other thing that we see drawn out in Genesis 3 and really hammered in in Ecclesiastes 3 is the idea that our, it just won't last, that these things that we chase after, they don't last. We live in a finite world that's headed for destruction. The things that we build, the money I can accumulate, the wealth that I can gather, it's not going to carry forward. One of my buddies worked for a guy who is uh, just very sharp, very uh, uh, brilliant businessman. Man, he just, he built up, he's an entrepreneur, he built up different companies, uh, made a lot of really smart investments, uh, was building for himself this incredible wealth, uh, just, just I mean, he's a solid guy. He was nice at times, unless you were trying to do business with him, then he was, man, he was rough. But he was working all for this goal of accumulating this wealth, of making these investments, of, of kind of getting himself to that level where he can just kind of sit back and relax and watch his money grow. And he got to that point. He was almost there, about upper 50s, younger dude, family's growing up, his businesses are flourishing, and he just dies in a freak accident. 
Helicopter crash. What in the world? He died. And all that wealth that he accumulated, all those things he had been working for, all that stuff that he had dedicated his life to, were useless. They're still here. And he's not. Ultimately, when we look ahead, we realize that, yeah, things end. (laughs) This world ends. That organization you're a part of, it's going to end. Either your time in it or the organization itself, it's just going to not exist anymore. At some point, you're going to graduate this school, Lord willing. You're going to graduate. You're going to leave Texas A&M. That GPA, you're going to leave it behind. Those different organizations, those different uh, extracurricular activities, all that stuff, that, all of those things you've been working towards and accumulating for yourself, you're leaving it behind. At some point, you're going to get into a job and, and a position where you know, it's, it's not necessarily going to last. You talk to a petroleum engineer five years ago, they're feeling great. You talk to one six weeks ago, they're not feeling so great. I've got friends in the oil industry and the energy industry, energy industry down in Houston. I mean, they're hurting. There's, there's layoffs, there's cuts. I Man, it's rough. People are scared and anxious, and frustrated, and it's spreading. It's not just the oil industry. It's starting to spread out. It's starting to affect other areas because those people aren't able to meet their mortgages. They're not able to pay for these different things and just stuff starting to kind of slide. Some of us are petroleum engineers. We're like, mm-hmm, what am I doing? Like, I, we don't know. We're headed towards this point where eventually all the stuff's going to end. Ultimately, we're all going to die. One day or the next. We're all headed there. That's why the author of Ecclesiastes says, man, it's like trying to grab the wind. And if we stop and we think about this, if we really, if we really think about it, I mean, it, it destroys people. People look at this and they realize this. They really stop and really think about where they're headed. And they're like, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what to do with this depressing reality. Some people decide, you know what? I'm just going to chase after whatever I can get now. I'm going to live for the here and now. Some people, they say, you know what? I'm just going to give up. I don't really care. Maybe I'll kind of phone it in at work so I can survive. But I'm not going to really put my heart and my passion in anything. And some people just try to want to ignore it. Like, let's not think about it. That's in that future Jacob can worry about that. So how do we, as believers, avoid the fruitless or pointless outcomes in our work? How do we avoid those things? The sad truth is that we can't. We can't. We live in a fallen world, and sin is all around us, and it's going to affect everything in our lives, our relationships, our our work, our, our, our lives, our, our inner desires, our, uh, the, the things that we do, the th- words that we say, our families, everything is affected by sin. There's no getting around it. But as believers, what we have, instead of being an opportunity to just avoid fruitlessness or avoid pointlessness, we have an opportunity to not be devastated <laughs> when they show up to not be destroyed by their existence because we have something better to pursue. Because the truth is that whenever someone is really rocked by getting their salary cut or not getting that job or not lining up that internship or failing to get that GPA or getting that bad grade on that test or not getting into that organization, the reasons people get just destroyed by those failures, by that fruitless endeavor or by that pointless endeavor, is because their focus is inward. 
Keller sums it up well, saying that one of the reasons work is both fruitless and pointless is the powerful inclination of the human heart to make work and its attendant benefits the basis of one's meaning and identity. In other words, you're going to get so rocked by your failures in work, your failures in school, wherever it is, you're going to get so rocked by it because you're putting your identity in it. You're finding your meaning in this work, in this endeavor, in this number, in this salary, in this GPA, in whatever it is. So if you're placing the entirety of your being, the entirety of your worth and value in this, well, yeah, when you fail at it, it's going to destroy you. So that's where it comes from. It's this selfish attitude. It says, work becomes a way to distinguish myself from my neighbor, to show the world and prove to myself that I'm special. It's a way to accumulate power and security, to exercise control over my destiny. This is the trap that we fall into, where we go about work and we find ourselves just wrapped up in what it is and what it can do for ourselves. And so when we fail, when our work is fruitless, when our work feels pointless, when that happens, not if, when that happens, we're devastated. But as believers, if we can dedicate ourselves to something bigger, if we can put, use our work, dedicate our work to a greater purpose, the things that we've been talking about for the, week, the past few weeks, the greater purpose of, of loving God, of glorifying God, of working with excellence in a way that points to him. If we're able to dedicate our work towards loving people, towards the common good, towards benefiting those around us, towards loving the people that surround us in our workplaces, in our homes, in our communities. If that's our purpose, if that's our goal, then those perceived setbacks won't feel like dead ends. If we understand that, yeah, no, there's a God who's over this. There's a higher plan. There's a higher purpose. In those moments, we'll still have hope. That's a beautiful thing. It's a rare thing. It's something that stands out. Even in the midst of this curse against the ground, even when God is speaking to Adam and Eve and he's telling them about all these terrible things that's going to happen, as he's pushing them out of the garden, taking away his provision, taking away his purpose that they had, taking away the relationship that they had with one another, even in that moment, he gave them a glimmer of hope. He told them, you know what? All these things are crashing around you. There's going to be animosity between you. There's going to be animosity between each other. There's going to be animosity between you and the earth. There's going to be animosity between you and the serpent who is, who is the, the embodiment of Satan, who is this representation of, of sin entering the world. When you see this animosity, when you see all these frustrations, man, this is going to be something that's terrible, and there's going to be a lot of conflict. There's going to be a lot of pain. There's going to be a lot of evil and, and just brokenness. But it says, one day there will be one, there will be a seed, there will be someone who will come through your line, who will come forth, there will be a person who comes forth and defeats sin. There's going to be someone who comes forth and destroys evil. There's going to be someone who comes and restores what you had with each other, with the world, and with me. And so they leave the garden, and Adam turns to his wife, and he names her Eve because she's the mother of all the living. Before that, they were just man and, wood and woman. But in that moment, Adam looks at her and he says, no, you're Eve, which is literally uh, derived from the idea of bringing life or, or the life giver, one who brings or gives life. Because that's what you are. Through you, we will eventually find the one. We'll eventually find the promise from the Messiah will save us from all this brokenness. 
And we have the benefit of getting to look back and saying, yeah, well, that was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who stepped out of heaven and onto earth to live and die and rise again for our sake so that anyone who calls on his name might be saved. Jesus Christ who died the death that we deserved after living the life that we couldn't live so that we all have the opportunity to be saved by grace through faith in his life and work. We see what he did and because of that good news, because of that hope in the gospel, when we face frustrations in work, when we face uh, setbacks, when we face fruitless endeavors, when we face pointless work, we don't have to be devastated. We still have hope. We still recognize that there's a greater purpose, there's a greater plan, there's a greater God who's over these things. And yet we find ourselves still falling into deep devastation, into deep frustration. We find ourselves being rocked by the effects of sin, because many times we shift our focus away from the Lord in our work. Many times what we do is we shift our focus to different idols. There's a slide on it, but we're not going to talk about it. We find ourselves getting caught up thinking about, well, I'm working not just for the Lord. I'm not working for his glory or for the good of others. I'm working for my own comfort or my own uh, pleasure. And when we do that, we find ourselves falling into laziness and apathy. We find ourselves focusing on, I want to achieve power or, or approval. And so we find ourselves overworking. We find ourselves out of balance in our life. We find ourselves focusing on, on control and gaining the control over our salary or our situation. And when we do that, we find ourselves falling into just anxiety. We, we don't trust the people around us. We find ourselves getting frustrated. We find ourselves feeling discouraged. We find ourselves being devastated by work that doesn't turn out the way we want it to turn out. And I'll tell you, nine times out of ten, that frustration, that, that disappointment is rooted in an incorrect and a broken perspective, in a broken focus. We're focused on ourselves. We're focused on gaining something for ourselves. And so I'm encouraging you, pleading with you, that as believers, please trust the Lord with your work. Because in doing so, you'll, you'll pursue a better purpose. So the band's going to lead us through a couple more songs. And as they do that, we're going we're gonna to go before the Lord in prayer. And I would just encourage you to be thinking about, I mean, where am I just feeling rocked by, by my work? Where am I feeling just deep disappointment or discouragement in a certain class or in a certain organization or a certain uh, job or in the pursuit of a job? Where do I feel that? Because many times what that is, is that's, that's revealing an idol in your life. Something that you're focusing on instead of God. A, a good thing, maybe, that you've turned into the thing. So I'd ask that you just take a moment and, and really confess to the Lord, this is where I'm hurting me and this is where I'm feeling discouraged. And ask him to root out that idol. Ask him to give you the strength to, to shift that perspective, to focus in on him, to seek after that higher purpose, that better purpose of serving him, glorifying him, and working for the good of those around you. So let's go to him now. God, we, we thank you so much that you've put before us with the opportunity to serve you, God, to work for you. God, you've, you've placed us uh, in your creation, Lord, with a the high calling. Lord, we thank you that we're not just aimless in our wanderings or even in our work, that God, even though we will feel uh, at times uh, that our work doesn't pan out like it should, God, even though there will be 
times where we feel as if all of our efforts are just pointless. Lord, we ask that that wouldn't just devastate us. Lord, we ask that that wouldn't be something that derails us. That isn't something that would dictate how we feel towards you or towards others. That instead, Lord, we would see those things, we would uh, feel their effects, but that, God, we would be able to press forward knowing that you're good, knowing that you have a plan, knowing that you have goals that are better than our own. God, that you know what path we have to walk to get to those points that we want to reach. So if you would take a moment now and just ask the Lord to, to draw to your mind, and where is it that you're feeling discouraged? Where is it that you're frustrated? And take a moment to, to ask the Lord to ask, ask him, I mean, where, where is that coming from? Am I kind of caught up in my own interests in this? Am I seeking after my own control or, 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 or pleasure or comfort? Ask the Lord to just help convict you if there is fault in there. Or maybe you're not feeling super discouraged. In which case, I would, I would, I would encourage you to take a moment and, and praise the Lord for what he's accomplishing in your life. Praise the Lord for the opportunities of of work that you've seen, of, of areas where you've had the chance to work to, to his glory or to the good of others. Wherever you are falling on the spectrum this evening, just go before the Lord, talk with him about that. And we'll sing to him in a moment.